That perspective about life, having a higher perspective, having a, a, a bigger angle than I could see for myself makes all the difference. It really does. I have an example of that and in the work environment. When I was about 14, I worked on an egg farm. It was these long chicken barns full of cages, and they had a lower level and upper level, and you would go down, I would spend eight, and eight to nine hours on a Saturday and on a Sunday gathering the eggs, putting them in those square 30-egg flats in the stacks and pushing them down the cart and filling more. Oh, it was a, it was, it was a great job. It was wonderful work. I, I recommend it to all of you. But one time, early in the morning, before we'd actually start work, we were supposed to all meet at the egg processing plant. The president of the company was going to be there. I was just a kid. And the president of the company was going to be there, and he was going to tell us from our egg farm and from the other egg farms that sent eggs to this plant, he was going to tell us all about the whole process. We saw how the eggs came through and how they were processed. The machines picked up the eggs, and they did this, and how they washed them and put them in the cartons and all these neat things that happened to our eggs. And then one of the things he wanted to impress upon us is to put the eggs right side up. All of the eggs had to be the same direction. I didn't know that it mattered so much. But if you didn't put the eggs in the right direction, then sometimes the machine wouldn't hold on to them, and it would drop them, and it would drop that egg and break it over a bunch of other eggs, and all of those eggs would be ruined. Other bad things could happen to the eggs, and I'm not going to go into, but the eggs had to be right side up. Breakfast all across America depended on it. He said, I never knew all of that about eggs. I just thought I was supposed to pick the eggs up and put them in the flat, pick them up and put them in, pick them up and put them in. It was pretty easy. A 14-year-old could do it. But somebody with a much higher perspective helped me to see things differently. Have you had that at work? Have you had that at work before or in some situation where, where somebody comes and you get this inspiring picture that's much bigger than just your little corner of the office? And you see how the things that you do make a difference and matter in a much bigger way. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is passing the torch. He's urging Timothy. He's he's telling Timothy to stir up that gifting that is in him. He's urging Timothy to get into the work, to go out with the gospel, to not be intimidated by people around him, to to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, not be ashamed to talk about Jesus, not to be ashamed, embarrassed to be known as a Christian. Even though others around are going different directions, others around are not following in the gospel. Others are being turned aside this way and that way, but you, Timothy, you be different. Remember what you learned, the content. Remember who you learned it, the difference it's made in the lives of others. And follow that same example. Press into it because it matters. And then he gets, he, he keeps circling that theme in this letter and he gets to chapter 4 and we've reached really the high point of the epistle. The high watermark. This is sort of the, the climactic moment here. And it's kind of like my invitation back to the egg farm. Paul gathers Timothy and anybody else who will listen like you and I. He gathers us in and he takes us into the very presence of God in heaven. He takes us in before the throne of the risen Lamb in the presence of God and Jesus Christ our Savior. In light of the fact that our Jesus not only is risen, but he's coming again and he will judge the living and the dead. 
He puts what we do in that eternal perspective. And from the heights of heaven and from the depths of a Roman dungeon, he urges you and I and all who would follow Jesus to step into our destiny, to press into it, because from this perspective, if this is really the way it is, if this is really the way it's going to be, then nothing else that could be in front of us, nothing else that might draw us away, that might distract us, can matter nearly as much as we thought that it did. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to look for three things as we read. I want you to look for the the situation around us that might cause you to be discouraged, that might cause you to give up, that might cause you to throw in the towel. I want you to look for the specific things that Timothy and you and I are told to do anyway. And then in the beginning and at the end, in, verses, in verse 1 and verses 6 to 8, I want you to look for the why. From the heights of heaven for to, the, to a dungeon in Rome, I want you to hear the why that Paul gives that I think makes all the difference. Second Timothy chapter 4, I'll start at verse 1. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, and if you, if you um, want, take one of those to open it up to page 843 and follow along with me as I read. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be ready, be prepared, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction. For the time will come when men, people, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store, there is laid up for me, there is ready for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Oh, not to me only, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. Father, This is your charge, not only to Timothy. This is your charge to us. We are in those days. We are in that season. We know those people who have been easily distracted. We know those people who are turned aside. And Father, we also know that we are ones you have given your gospel. You have given your truth to. We are the ones that you have told to to do the work of an evangelist, to tell those around us the gospel of Christ, to tell them your truth. Father, give us some perspective this morning. 
Show us, Father, what it is that awaits. Give us that bird's eye view of the trail that we are on so that we can see it differently and press ahead in the next steps that are before us right here today. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could, if I could sum this up, if I could sum up these, this passage in, in a short statement, a locker room speech, if you will, it would be, the time is short. The time is short. The work is going to be hard. The battle is going to be intense. But victory awaits. That's the outline that I gave you in the bulletin in your notes. Time is short. We don't know how much time it will be before the Lord comes. He is ready for His appearing. We don't know how much time any of us have. Things change very quickly. We don't know. But we are told the time is short. We are told to be ready. We don't know how ready the time is even for our own departure. So if the time is short, well, the work will be hard. The work will be hard in that short time. But it will be worth it because victory awaits the time is short. Turn, turn back just in your minds or on the page in front of you. Look back at those first couple of verses. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In season and out of season. There are times when, when the gospel easily has a response. People seem so ready. There are times when they seem hardened to it. There are times when they seem not interested. There are times when you don't want to bother to say anything. You're just going to keep your head down because the, the risk-reward ratio just doesn't seem to be there. That if you took a chance and said something, you're just going to embarrass yourself. You're just going to put yourself out there and somebody else is going to slap you down because it's obviously an out-of-season time. So why even bother? But God says, in season and out-of-season. You know, the world has, has had that cycle. In season, out of season, think of it in terms of the calendar year. There are times to, to plant and there are times to, to uproot, Ecclesiastes says. There's a time for sowing, there's a time for reaping. There is in season time and there is out of season time. And normally we expect the results when the, in the in season time. We don't expect him in the out of season. And yet if you, if you look at the descriptors, it would suggest that our current age is, is, is more of an out of season than an in season. There have been times when, when the world has known an in season time. Times like the Reformation. Times like the first century when, when a small band of believers literally turned the world upside down and upset the whole Roman Empire with their faith in a living risen Savior. There are times toward the end of that first century when people begin to peel away and fall away. There were times when it seemed like Christianity was going to take over the world and the kingdom would be upon us, and then the church itself began to corrupt and rot from within, and we went into what we call the Dark Ages. There was an in-season time of reformation, and the light of the gospel flamed up again and changed Europe. Changed our country as a result of that. Many places in the world as a result of that. And then it began to die down again. And then even in our country, there, there have been times of great awakening. There have been times of revival. And there are times of distraction. It's seasonal. We don't know when the next big season is going to be, but let's, let's say, let's choose the hard path. Let's choose the rocky road. Let's say that we are in out-of-season time. Is that encouraging? Are you ready? It ought to be encouraging. 
There are things that you can only do. There is seed that can only be sown. There is fruit that will only be accomplished because of what is done out of season. Think about daffodils. Think about tulips. I wish we had more daffies out front. I wish we had more tulips. My wife loves daffodils. She loves tulips when they come up in the spring. It's this early spring flower, and they're so beautiful, aren't they? We don't have more. We have some, but I wish we had more, but we don't have more for, well, squirrels eat them, seems like. But, but the bigger reason is if you want more daffies, you've got to get them in the ground early. You've got to get those bulbs in the ground early when it's still cold, when it's out of season, when it's before the season. It's not yet in season. That's when. Other flowers you put out there once it finally warms up and weekends like we've just had. You are way too late, folks, for daffodils. You're way too late to put tulips in the ground now. That's got to be done. If you want to see the result of it in season, it's because of what was done out of season, wasn't it? Daffies and tulips are one of those things that remind me that out of season makes a difference. Okay, maybe the season has come. Maybe the season is gone. Maybe you feel like the best days of the, of, of the faith in this community, maybe in, in our country, maybe even in this church, you feel like they're behind you, that we're out of season now, no longer in season. Have you heard of something called winter wheat? Winter wheat doesn't grow in season. Winter wheat is put in at the end of the season. Winter wheat grows out of season, but it's winter wheat and not summer wheat that feeds a majority of the world. That is, for people all around the world, the bread of life, winter wheat. Don't be discouraged by out of season. God tells us here to preach the gospel, to spread the word, to tell your story, to share your faith, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you in season and out of season. When you think people are ready, when you think this is the time, this is the moment for Brian, it's Wednesday night, the youth are gathered, they're pumped up, the music's been high, it's in season. He doesn't know who's going to call him later that night. And he's tired. And for Brian, it is now out of season. But for somebody, God is working, and out of season is in season. In season and out of season, we are ready to share our faith, to tell our story, to explain to others why we believe, to give an answer for the hope that is within us, to represent the gospel of Christ in this world. Because that's what we're here for. Don't be distracted by the situation around us. Don't be distracted by you think that it's out of season. Time is short, so be ready. That'll be hard. And the words that he describes, if time is short, we give ourselves to it. The words that he describes, the words that he gives us are hard work kind of words, aren't they? With great patience. If you have to exercise great patience, that suggests it's hard, doesn't it? If you've got to exercise patience, it suggests that you're getting a hard time, that there's trouble, that there's difficulty involved. That's why the call for do this with great patience. Do this enduring suffering or hardship. Work hard, it says, patiently teaching, carefully instructing, line upon line, precept upon precept. I think of those who teach nursery-age kids. And pre-K age kids, week after week, they, they lay a line of truth. 
And in Sunday school, week after week, year after year, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade five, grade six, week after week, they lay a line of truth and they, here and there, get a glimpse of the results. It's careful instruction, it's hard work, it's patiently teaching that there will be a harvest, that the word of God doesn't return void, that it will accomplish its purpose. What you do, what God sets before you matters even when we don't yet see it. It may seem out of season and it may be hard work and yet we do it anyway. We keep giving an answer for the hope that is within us. I think of a boating illustration and hard work. I remember times when we were in the San Juan Islands and you're going through Deception Pass and that's a particular stormy place. And the way you go through a particular stormy channel when the water is really rough is you meet the waves head on. If times are tough, if the work is hard, if it's a difficult season, if you're experiencing opposition, don't, don't, don't run from it. Don't turn sideways to it. Try to go along with it. No, no, no. If you go sideways, you know what's going to happen? It's going to roll you. You meet the wave. You meet the opposition head on. Firm in what we know to be true. Even though around us, everybody's saying that your truth is actually a myth. You know the definition of a myth? People are turning aside to myths. You think of fables. You think of old Greek stories about gods and so on, right? Well, a myth is actually a culturally accepted and embraced assumption it's what everybody believes a myth might be common sense whether it's true or false it's an assumed worldview that underlines a narrative events and actions do you feel sometimes like people are reinventing or rewriting history well they might be taking a new spin on various facts in order to fit a new set of assumptions which they hold to be true about reality, the cultural myth that is being assumed, and so they fit these facts into that myth in a new way. And lots of other things now become truths, and our truth of the gospel that Jesus has risen is said instead to be a myth. Stick to the truth. Stick to the truth even in the face of myth, even if it's out of season. Work hard. The time is short. He says preach the word. Now, preach the word. That sounds like it's for preachers. That's why I I was saying, tell your story. Share your faith. Give your testimony. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. All of that is rolled together in that word, gospel, the work of an evangelist. Preach. Okay? Now, how do you do that? What is in you comes out, right? Do you remember a couple weeks ago? I talked about a Palm Sunday moment. I said that your devotions, your receiving of God's word that was given to us, our receiving of God's word where God himself meets with us and speaks to us from his word, that's where we take word in. That's the only way that we will give word out. Those verses, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, which run into this chapter, those verses say, that, the, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, so it's profitable. It makes a difference. It is useful. It is effective for, for instruction, for, for rebuke, for correction, for instructing you in righteousness. Those are the things you should look for when you read in your quiet time so that the man or woman of God, the godly one, would be equipped 
ready for every good work. How will I be ready to give out good word? How will I be ready to speak truth in the midst of the tough things of life that cause people to ask, how will I be ready to give something out if I haven't first taken it in? That's why chapter 3 ends that way, and chapter 4 starts this way. We are the ones that this has been given to. The time is short, the work is hard, but this is given to us, and victory is ahead of us. Paul tells Timothy, in verse 2, preach the word, verse 6 is the why. Well, Verse 1 is the why, too, because he pulls Timothy up into heaven, first of all, in the presence of God himself. Isn't it, this is not an idle instruction. This is not an if you've got time. Everything else fits around this. Timothy, in your life, this is the big rock. This is the thing to put in if nothing else fits in. Timothy, it's about sharing what you know about the Savior with others. Because Jesus is coming. You think it's out of season, but the Lord is coming. And this is in preparation of that. And what he's given us is in preparation of his coming when he will appear and he will judge. And the people all around us are facing that reality. And Paul says, you preach, Timothy. You share. You tell your story. You witness to your friends because, Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. Look at verse 6 again. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. You know what a drink offering was? A drink offering was something that was poured on wine, wine mixed with oil, kind of like a dressing that was poured on the sacrifice. It was added to the sacrifice. It was something extra that, that added to a sacrifice. Made it more special, if you will. And so Paul sees, Paul doesn't see himself as the central person here. Paul sees himself, his own life, poured out in sacrifice for God's glory, but poured out on the work and the sufferings and the ministry and the hard work of others in the church. He said, I'm already being poured out. I'm being expended. I have, I have spent and am being spent for the gospel. And he says, the time is ready for my departure. This is going to continue. God is going to continue it, but now he's going to continue it through you. I look around here, I don't see the Apostle Paul anywhere. You know what? I don't even see Timothy. All God's got left is us. But that's exactly the way he intended it. You say, oh my goodness, God is in trouble then. Oh no. Oh no, the king of all the universe is not in any trouble at all. The king of all the universe sits in heaven and in his presence with the risen son of God at his right hand, interceding for us, the one who in our weakness, his power is perfected. He's not in trouble. But the reason it's for us is there have been those that have gone before who are no longer in the game. This is our turn. This is our dance. We come to the end of a of school year, every, every NCAA tournament to go to the basketball. You know, you watch these teams, and there's, there's three seniors on this, on this starting squad. There's four seniors. All five of them are maybe seniors, and that whole team is going to look different next year. But if it's a good program, they're going to be back. If it's a good program, they're going to be back next year because it didn't just depend on that year's squad of seniors. Even when they're ready to depart, the next ones come up and have been prepared and they're ready to get in the game. That's you and I, ready to get in the game. Paul says, I have held nothing back. 
I haven't kept anything in reserve. I have been poured out already as an offering on the sacrifices of others. Time is ready for my departure, and I have got no qualms about going. I have no fear. I have no hesitation of entering into the presence of my Savior. Why? Because I have hard work, fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, and so there's in store for me that crown of righteousness. There awaits me a reward. Oh, the time was short. I had a few years, just a handful. The work was hard all along the way. You don't need to go into the rehearsal of the hard work that Paul went through, but none of it mattered in his eternal estimation. None of it mattered if he was lifted up into an Oregon Trail perspective that saw the mountains, saw the peaks, saw the altitude he would have to get through, and it better be before snow comes, but he would arrive at that glorious heavenly Willamette Valley. Huh? And here we are. Oh, my. You didn't know it was that good, did you? It'll be far better, won't it? It'll be far better. That crown that awaits him, that crown of righteousness is not only for him, but for all those all those who love his appearing. Paul said, I held nothing back. Paul, in sports terms, left it all on the field. Imagine you're in the NCAA tourney. It's halftime. But it's as if the game was restarting again because you're tied at 42-42. This is the NCAA tourney, and it doesn't matter what part of the bracket you're in. It doesn't matter if you're just starting out or if you're in the Sweet 16 or if you're in the Final Four. This is your last game. Every game in the playoffs is your last game. Every season in the out-of-season postseason is your last game. A team doesn't hold back their starter. We're going to keep him in reserve the second half. We're going to keep him because we don't want him too winded for the next game. No, everybody is out there. You hold nothing back. You go for the goal every time. You keep pressing on. You put everything you've got into this game. You leave it all on the court. You leave it all on the field. You hold nothing back, right? That's the way the victory is achieved. You know, it's been like that in missions as well. The earliest missions to interior Africa, when they left the U.S. in the 19th century, you know how they packed? I always thought it was pretty cool. When we left, we put everything that we were going to take with us, we put it into one very large crate that was about the size of a large refrigerator. I thought, boy, that was really rough in it. You know, when the earliest missionaries to the interior of Africa, when they left the U.S., you know how they packed? It was in about a... Two and a half or three foot by six foot crate. All the supplies that they expected to use within two to three years, if that, they put into that six foot by two and a half or three foot box. And that was the box that they fully expected within that time to they themselves be buried in. Because for the sake of the gospel, they fully intended to leave it all on the field. To hold nothing back. Why? Because God himself had commissioned him. And there was laid up before them a crown of righteousness. And in comparison to that, nothing else mattered. Biblical example. Leave it all in the field. Elisha. He's plowing along. 
He's following a bunch of other guys, plowing the family's field. He's got, a, he's, he, he's got a yoke of oxen, two oxen. He's got the wooden yoke. He's got a wooden made plow and is sharpened. And, and there they go. They're breaking up the ground and Elijah comes along. And Elijah comes along and takes his prophet mantle, his prophet's cloak, and he lays it over Elisha's shoulders. It's a Paul to Timothy moment. What's Elisha going to do? How is Elisha going to leave it all on the field? You know what he does? He takes that wooden yoke. He takes those wooden plow implements and the harnesses, and he kindles those together in a fire. He slaughters his oxen, those that he would plow with, and he, he, he offers that oxen as a burnt offering to the Lord on the wood, on the fire made from his plowing implements. Elisha was going forward with the Lord. Elisha was leaving that behind. Elisha left it all on the field. He held nothing back. One more mission example from right here in this church. Real people you know. Robin Laura Evans. When they were following God's leading in missions, they didn't have a garage sale. They sold the whole house. They sold the whole house in order to pay their way for the three months of candidate school. This was even before they were formally accepted by the mission. They sold their house. They left their home behind in order to pay for their candidate school and then to use some of those funds also to move them to the field to get together the rest of what they needed to be on their way to Mexico. Robin Laura Evans held nothing back. You know Real people, just like you, same kind of family, same rambunctious little kids, same concerns and fears, but the same clarity of this truth. It is in this life only that we have the opportunity to live and follow God by faith. Eternity is rapidly rolling upon us. Think about it. Eternity is rapidly coming toward us. We are readier than we know for our own departure. And the Lord's appearing is at hand. Right? Do you see it? And when we are there, we will see him. We will no longer live by faith. We will live by sight. We will be in God's presence, but you will no longer have the privilege of living by faith that you and I have today. You know, there's something else you will no longer do. And that is share your glorious testimony. Tell the story of what you believe about Jesus so that someone else can believe it and also be saved. You will not, in his kingdom, you will not, after his appearing, participate in this present grand work of God's redemption. That'll be complete. Think about it. Now is the time. Now is the day. This is our dance. We are climbing uphill to glory. Time is short. The work is hard and there is plenty to do. But brothers and sisters, victory awaits. A crown, but better than a crown, a close chair in God's own presence. What would you hold back in comparison to that? Let's pray. Father, we want to give ourselves. Lord, and I, I think it's one of those things that each one of us right now could remember 
something that we have been doing or could be doing. Each of us right now could think of and call to mind one person or maybe several that we have wanted to share with, we have tried to share with, we have been sharing our faith with. It seems out of season and we've been ready to give up, but Lord, this is what you have set before us. All eternity awaits right now, Lord. We ask you to receive an offering of ourselves. Lord, would you in fact pour us out as that drink offering just like Paul? Would you wear us out in the best of work while we have the opportunity to do it only by faith rather than by sight? Lord, would you use us even today? Father, that person that we think of, we lift them up to you right now. And we ask, Lord, that in this next week, you would give us an opportunity in what the Bible says to preach the word. It simply means that we would share our faith, that we would explain why it is that we believe. We'd say something about the goodness of God and in Jesus our Savior that might lead them to also trust him. Father, we give ourselves to you even in the form of this offering. We ask you to receive it and to use it, Father, for the giving out of your word to others in ways that will make a difference, not for now only, but for all of eternity. This we pray in Jesus' name. And all who believed it said,